money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. Emma Dupont-Brown is General Manager of Product and Corporate Communications at Mortgage Choice. Emma is responsible for curating solutions, providing access to financial products and educating the Mortgage Choice community. Emma's previously held senior positions within Westpac, National Australia Bank, and is a truly inspiring and motivational individual that is going to help us crack this mortgage game wide open. We, we have come such a long way, and I think that you know, women's ability to earn income and the different career prospects and what we are seeing in terms of the, the leadership of women in, in work and all those aspects is, is really coming to fruition, and we are seeing more women move into property ownership as, as a result. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Welcome to Tilly Money, Emma. Thanks, Claire. It's actually a pleasure to really to be here, so thank you. <laughs> and my welcome to you as well, Emma. It's Maureen here. And you've obviously had a prestigious career in the financial sector to date, but I particularly love your name, Emma Dupont-Brown. Oh, thank you. love that. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, Emma, we're going to quiz you today on all things money, but we're going to make it interesting. But we want to know about you because I know you're going to be working closely with us. And so Claire and I are going to quiz you on all things that Emma Dupont-Brown <laughs> knows about mortgages. And the first up I'm going to say to you, Emma, where did you learn about money growing up? It's a good place to start. I um, so so uh, I started as I would just call it part of the Commonwealth Bank Dolomite generation. Okay. So um, uh, many of those that are in I suppose the, the Generation X and, and into the early Gen Ys would know that there was a time when you would go to school and and have your little Velcro pouch of money in your deposit book and and you know you put your two dollar coin in each week and school would take it off to the bank and and deposit it and you'd see sort of your balance go up and I think. Mm-hmm. At a very simple level, that really just taught me the, the basics of and the discipline around around money. But if I reflect on the key points that really taught me about money in my in my earlier youth, um, the first would be so my education. Mm-hmm. So um, born and bred in Sydney yeah. and um, I was fortunate enough that my parents put me through private school education mm-hmm. but that came at, at, a, at a cost mm-hmm. for them. It was it was really a, a sacrifice for them. We didn't have the overseas holidays and a lot of the, the other lovely things that a lot of my friends that I went to school with had and I saw the emphasis that they placed on really working hard to be able to put my brother and I through a really good education to set us up and and so I really valued that and, and could see that that, that really did come at a, at a considerable focus for them. But what um, an amazing investment. Uh, mm. And I'm just so appreciative mm. of it and I really do feel that it did set me up in so many ways. So yeah. so I think 
that that was the starting point of it. And then the other key point would have been my parents' divorce mm. at, at 21. Mm. So I was a young adult, so so eno- conscious enough to know what was clearly going on. Mm. But um, to see my mother had worked throughout my childhood, but then to see both of them have to go through splitting of assets mm. and set themselves up again and, and my mum have to be financially independent on her own two feet um, and, and really forge her way in purchasing another property and getting herself you know, financially set up for her future at that point when she's not particularly young um, really set the foundations for me to know the importance of, Emma, you're going to have to be able to fend for yourself in life mm-hmm. and make sure that you can um, be financially independent mm-hmm. and it's important to value money but have a plan B or always have that money in the you know, the savings bank for that. So mm. I think that those were sort of two aspects that really shaped my view on money. Is it something to be valued? Mm. Um, and you don't fritter it away. You, yeah. you be wise with it. Mm, well, it's hard to come by. And then divorce is a big killer, you know, for a yeah. lot of people because you go along building wealth together. Exactly. And then, you know, something happens and we all know it happens. Yeah. And then you've got to split that wealth which yeah. uh, and then build it again. Yeah. So um, they're extraordinary lessons for you mm. to learn. Yeah. Do you think that that kind of exposure to the realities around money was what motivated you to move into finance in career-wise? It's a, I would like to say yes, but it, but it, it didn't. Yeah. Um, I was a science like complete oh, nerd go. at school. <laughs> um, finance was never on my radar, actually, funnily enough, when I was, was going through school and, and university. I um, loved chemistry as a student and I always – had this aspiration. I would toss and turn with different career options, but they always centered around health. It was always something in the medical field, it was physio one month and next month I might be, you know, nursing or whatnot. So I was always focused on a career that would sort of have a science background or a basis and then focused around helping people. Mm. And as I reached the end of my, my schooling and we were choosing, you know, university degrees and what you were going to go on and do, and my best friend and I were sitting at the table with her father, who was a fantastic influence on me as I was growing up. He's a very successful man, but he was very wise. And, um, and he said, Emma, um, why don't you, have you thought about doing a commerce degree? Mm. And I just went, well, I don't, I've never done any business studies or economics. Why, why would I do that? I have no interest in doing business. And he said, well, it, it could be really helpful in the future. You know, you're going to need to know about money and a lot of careers will still involve some form of business. So it actually, you know, maybe could be a good idea to, mm. to, to throw it into the mix. So I, I took his advice mm. and um, I still pursued the science degree, continued my nerd nerdiness throughout my university <laughs> years in my lab coat. And, um, but I did the commerce degree as well. So I did five mm. years at uni. Wow. And, and I loved it. Mm. I absolutely loved the, the balance of the two. Mm. But I, I sort of got to the end of it and I, I did a pharmacology major just mm. to contr- you know, con- con- extend the nerdiness. Mm. And You don't look like a nerd, Emma. No. Oh, <laughs> thanks, thanks Maury. <laughs> I'm a you very personable like, nerd. That's right. You don't sound like one, either, yeah. Which <laughs> sort of comes to later on. Mm. But I, um, I looked at the options out of coming from a science degree and they were very much either into the research, mm. in, you know, path mm. which I'm too personable for being mm. in, in a Stuck laboratory in a lab, yeah, that, yeah I didn't see myself as that mm. and then the other path that sort of seemed quite clear was then into pharmaceutical sales mm. and I didn't see myself as somebody who'd be knocking on doors and selling drugs I just, I just didn't identify with mm. that either mm. 
So I sort of carried on with you know, the thinking of the business and I just applied to a lot of grad programs, um, as a lot of people do. And I was offered an opportunity with MLC, um, which is part of the NAB group yes. and support a lot of financial planners in delivery of you know, advice products and investments and insurance to customers. And, and I, so I took the opportunity and I loved the business. It was really people oriented. I really understood what it was that we were trying to do. And, and I'd spent nine years at NAB and yeah. I, I loved it. So that, that's kind of how I fell into it. It was no deliberate plan at no. all. Well, so. you, you must thank your friend's father. Right. Yes. From yeah. Yeah. seeing that about you. Otherwise, you could have been knocking on doors selling drugs. I could Legally. Have been. Legally. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. Of course. <laughs> So that's how you got your start. And then where did you go from NAB? Yeah, so I I think my real start then was when I went into leadership when, when I was in NAB. So I was I still was an analyst. I still had a little bit of the, the numbers playing around. But I then um, was working for two executives at the time in, in the broking channel within NAB. And I think they saw within me this, this really extroverted, personable type of individual and I was like not really an analyst at all either. And, and they said, have you thought about doing some, some people leadership? Have you thought about, you know, working more and, you know, supporting people achieve their potential? And that really resonated with me. And so I suppose my real start for what then set me up into a great sort of sales management career was that moment where they sort of gave me this opportunity to, to lead a sales team mm -hmm. within NAB. And that's when I really found my groove, I think, and just working with small businesses, we're working with mortgage brokers, and that's where I got my first taste of mm -hmm. really supporting small business owners to, mm -hmm. to achieve some of their goals and, and how they were helping people buy homes. Um, and that's where I really felt uh, connected and then helping the people that were in my team to, to achieve outcomes as well. So, yeah. You sound like you've had a number of mentors along the way, you know, mm. your friend's um, father. What was his first name? Bill. Bill. Yeah. So yeah. Bill, obviously you have strong relationship um, with your parents and yes. your, you know, your mother yes. as well, you know, had influence mm. on you even indirectly by, you know, showing you how important it is to be independent financially yeah. for your future. And then you had people who were recognising you, you with this leadership potential. Mm. What did these, looking back on that, Emma, what kind of key things did these mentors teach you apart from saying you'd be a great leader? Yeah, I think mentors are, um, they're just so important because they do absolutely shape, you know, your direction or they can really help you navigate difficult circumstances. I, uh, you're right, I've had a couple of personal mentors mm -hmm. and then in my professional sense, I've, I've always sought to have a number. Mm -hmm. um, I think we, we go about seeking mentors and think that we'll just have one for our career and there's so many different aspects of your career that you're going to encounter that it's it's a little bit unrealistic to think that you're going to have just one person help mm -hmm. solve those challenges for you. So I, I had a moment in my career where I was in my usual enthusiastic self <laughs> running away with a bit of an idea and mm -hmm. getting some, some traction and senior executive at the time pulled me up and he said hey I don't think you've actually brought everybody on the journey just yet here and it was a bit of a constructive moment and I'd gone too far mm -hmm. and it was this moment where I had to, had to stop and he helped me reflect on 
maybe you should be going about this a little bit differently. You mm. need to engage with a few other people. And that moment has really stuck with me. And that relation that, that, that really changed the relationship that I had with that executive at that point in time. He is still my mentor mm. today. Mm. I sought his counsel out afterwards and said, actually, that was really valuable the way that you were able to clearly helped me get back on track and you could mm. see that I was going off off, off on another you know, tangent mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't going to work out or end well. So such a key learning It was for a you. huge mm-hmm. learning and it was very, and it was still early on in my leadership career. Mm. And I think that having those honest conversations with someone who has experience, who has the wisdom to mm. really ground you in those moments but be constructive yeah. to help you then take that and move forward with it. That's that's the real power of mentorship. It's something that I really like to hear because you've mentioned Bill and then when you were talking about this person taking you aside yeah. and say, whoa, Emma, you know, yeah. that you're out there but turn around and there's no, not many people following because in essence that's what he was saying. Mm. Um, they're both men. And, and so that's great, you know, because mm. we know as women that we're building role models, but it's also, we also know out there there's a lot of men who are more than happy to lend their experience, their mentoring. But Emma, if I was a young woman and I was listening to this right now and mm. I thought, well, Emma's taken advantage of so many situations, she's had good mentoring, did she actually go and ask someone to be a mentor or was it pure luck or what would you say if you were knowing that you needed a mentor, you mm. know, do you just approach someone and say, oh, have you got time to mentor me? How do you how do you work through that yeah, relationship? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think I mean, there is an element of you need to be proactive. Yes. Yeah? Mm. So you, it's not just going to fall in your lap. Mm. Um, you do and, – and such a key part of a mentorship relationship is – being able to identify and relate with the individual. Mm. So it's it's going to be very hard to form a mental relationship with someone that you don't naturally get along Mm. with or that you you can't relate with. So I think in those instances, in the example I just gave, I sought out that individual. Mm. Off the back of that learning, Mm. I I approached him and said, hey, would you be comfortable with us continuing conversations Mm. so so that I can navigate these points in my career Mm. and seek out advice? And did you set up a regular time for those? Was it a formal arrangement or...? I think we formally established ourselves as mentor, as him as the, the mentor and myself as the mentee. Mm. There wasn't necessarily a formal rhythm of each quarter we will sit mm. down and we will do X. We do have a formal rhythm around the setting in which we catch mm. up in. Mm. So it's always at the same place. It's mm. always a breakfast. Um, mm. You know, it'd be, it's a midweek morning. And so that always looks the same. Uh, so it's kind of a usual place, usual time. Mm. All right, let's mm. put it in the diary. Mm. Um, so, so that that rhythm, and then it becomes a bit of an established mm. pattern. I, so, Emma, say if you had something you needed a sounding board, or you yes. had something that you just couldn't work out by yourself, or you're on one of those mm. runaway moments yep. and you needed that. Is that what you talk about? I reach about? out yeah. for that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's more reactive. I'll seek out counsel when I feel that I reach a, a crossroads where I need it, mm. um, and I mentor some individuals as well who have just come up to me and said, "Hey, I, I really resonate with what you do, mm. and would would you be happy to to mentor me?" And then they reach out when they are in need of, mm. you know, they're at a career junction and they feel that they need that advice or there's a restructure going on at work, Emma, I'm not mm. sure how I'm going to navigate this. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'd need your counsel. And mm. and the, the art of mentoring and think or and, and a good mentor is to ask you questions and help you navigate that yourself and and then lean on their experience of similar situations. Mm. So but I would encourage people to 
seek out a mentor, someone that they, they respect, mm-hmm. that has some greater learnings than they have, that doesn't necessarily have to be someone that's on the same career path mm-hmm. as themselves, mm-hmm. but that can really lean on mm-hmm. experience that may be relevant mm-hmm. to what you're going to need. And listen, yeah. listen well, to you. That's a key, key, thing, <laughs> yeah. key thing. So in terms of, Emma, you've had a long background in talking money. Yes. But You've entered a space where you've got a senior role at Mortgage Choice. Mm. Um, Maybe tell us about that, uh, how you got this role and what it entails. Yes, I... I actually took a, I took a leap out of my career at one point after my long time with NAB and I went back into I went into pharmaceuticals. I, I took the, no, you funnily enough. You couldn't resist it. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. It was, it was, I suppose it was the, uh, um, the, the itch that just never got scratched. I, was, mm-hmm. I, I need to try it. So I went in for 12 months, tried it, um, and I found that my passion was still in finance. Mm-hmm. So I went and worked at Westpac for a little while and in small business again. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's, there's mm-hmm. a theme here. Mm-hmm. And, and was enjoying my time there, but I knew the CEO at the time at Mortgage Choice mm-hmm. and he was in the process of you know, setting up their new strategy and direction mm-hmm. as, a, as a new CEO and had a chat with me around that there were going to be opportunities coming up and you know this is, this is my chance to be part of a national business that was a business of small businesses mm-hmm. as well. And so it, it was it was literally too good to, to, to pass up um, and, and that was a, a relationship that I'd had previously through my time at NAB. So, again, the relationships are a key part of, of your career. And this career. was around, what, 2015? 15, yeah, mm-hmm. and I've been there for five years now. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And, and the role has very much morphed in, in that mm-hmm. time. So I was, I was looking after relationships with the lenders mm-hmm. um, as part of my experience in, in, in mortgages and then now looking after communications as well. So all I'm sorts surprised of that, different... That you should, yeah, you should should be looking after communications, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Not. Yeah. Just in with when you entered into the mortgage space, what were the kind of common gaps of knowledge or misunderstandings that people had? Yeah, so I think um, when I was entering it, and like instead so if I look right back, so you know, 2007, 2009, when I was first started helping um, and supporting mortgage brokers from the banking side, um, customers at that point in time that. The, there was still a lot of sentiment around going to to the bank and taking what was on offer. And what we've seen shift in that time is the amount of information that's now available uh, to customers. And the products have really changed as well. So, you know, the the ability to support first homeowners um, is a good example that now there's there's products that specifically help people to be able to get into their homes. So first homeowner guarantees where they can support, you know, you can use a family member to help back you into um, getting into a mortgage. And so I think that some of the, the, the gaps or the opportunities have now been closed in that time, which is fantastic, but there's also a whole lot more information that's now more publicly available to everyone to be able to inform and educate themselves around mortgages and and what's involved and how to go about it and since then we now see you know, one in two mortgages is written through a mortgage broker you know that's that's the most current data um, and so th- there's there's been a real shift from going to the bank um, and just you know the relationship that you always had whether you're a dollar mite child or not you know that that, that lender relationship that you establishing oh well, I've been banking with this institution for so long I'll go talk to them about now getting a home yeah um, 
now it's about shopping around and understanding what's available and the choice that's there. Well, the growth of brokers over the years is amazing. I mean, my company used to publish um, the magazine for the MFAA, which mm. is the association, one of the associations that represents mortgage brokers, yes. as you would well know, Emma. And there was always this thing of, you know, are mortgage brokers here to stay? You know, will the banks, you know, kind of eradicate the broker? Not so. They're not going anywhere is that is that your we view sure too? are not yeah. no way <laughs> in yeah. fact as you said the numbers are getting stronger why do you why do you think that emma why is the role of a broker so important i, I genuinely believe it's the, it's it's what they offer mm. so as as a customer i can go to a broker they will be able to offer me a whole range of different banks not just one um, they will shop around for the best rate they will do the work for me um, they will help manage the relationship of submitting the application mm. and all of the hassle of documents and making it, you know, they make my whole life easier in submitting the application. And then they're also going to look after me for the long term and keep checking in on my mortgage and you know, support that relationship. Mm. So, so I get choice. Mm. I, I get an easier process. Mm. I get someone who's working for me, not the bank. Um, and a relationship of somebody that's going to be there for me throughout the long term. This is a 30-year mortgage, right, mm. and it might not be the first or the last home that I purchase. So I really get the chance to to build that relationship. So I, I think that that's really why customers and ultimately the advice. They mm. know the products. They mm. know the policies. They understand the, the segment. Mm. And it's complex now. It's 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 not simple to, to get a mortgage. Everyone's income is a lot more complex now. We, more people are self-employed. More people are earning money in different ways. We've got Uber, we've got Airtasker, all these new, you know, what they call the gig economy, right? Mm. And so that doesn't make it as simple as I just work in one job with one income on a pay slip to be able to apply for a and mortgage. And banks and lending institutions are requiring a lot of detail as well they that sure are. can sometimes, you know, boggle the mind of, yep. of the ordinary person. Yes. Do you think a lot of it is that quite often a lot of brokers also own their own business mm. um, or they work for a small business mm. um, and they understand the relationship and the importance of having that customer over a long term? Yes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, we see... Uh, I talk to some of our brokers in our network, Mortgage Choice, and we call them intergenerational clients. Mm. We're seeing customers who came to us to purchase their home and now Mm. their children are coming back and, you know, purchasing their home through through the same broker because the relationship has been that that long and extenuating. So absolutely that is is a key part of it. Mm. Through your work with like the product and then communications, it's almost Mm. like you're mentoring the mortgage community in a sense, but... Do you think there's still kind of misconceptions about the broking industry on that kind of path to move away from going straight to the lender? Yeah, I think that the the, the benefit of a broker that there's there's still a lot there's always work for us to do on educating the community around yeah. what a broker does. Um, that there is no cost to to the customer as part mm-hmm. of seeing a mortgage broker, mm-hmm. and that they're there to work for you. And, and to help make the processes easy and get you the, the, the right outcome for yourself. So I think that we will always have work to do to, to educate around 
the role and the benefit, um, more and more people are understanding it. And I think that word of mouth is a great thing, right? Mm. It's more people that actually go and engage a broker Mm. and experience that and then share those experiences, the more that the community will understand what's Mm. involved in in mortgage broking and and why it's of such benefit to customers. And we'll just keep seeing that Mm. market share grow. Yes, very very true. Now, this question, Claire, I'd really like to ask this question only because I should have known this given... I've got a longer history than than both of you, but I was staggered by this. Yeah, we were and both blown away by this. Yeah, and I said um, to Claire, is that true? And because just three decades ago, Australian women apparently had to have a man as a guarantor on a loan like 30 years ago. That's insane. We it's have come a very long way. way. A long yeah. way. Now, yeah. I, I bought my first house, so there must have been a wording that was a little different mm. um, on the contract because I certainly bought my first house more than 30 years ago, but that is staggering. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So it, We've come so far since yes. then, so, so so that's not the case now. Not obviously. the case now, no, no, but <laughs> only 30 years ago. So what are we talking about? The early 90s that changed. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, so we, we, we have come such a long way and I think that, you know, women's – ability to to earn income Mm. and the different career prospects Mm. and what we are seeing in terms of the the leadership of of women in in work and all those aspects Mm. is is really coming to fruition and we are Mm. seeing more women move into property ownership mm. as, as a result. So mm. I, I have some research that more yeah, up-to-date yeah, research to share with you, so. which I thought that I'd bring along. Mm. Um, so we actually did a survey um, earlier this year and we served a, a thousand Australians um, as part of our property ownership survey. And we one of the aspects that we looked into was women's attitudes towards property ownership and to see um, how women were feeling about entering into a mortgage and owning their own property. And so we found specifically, it was interesting, the millennial women are more optimistic about buying property with 30% feeling that it's more achievable to enter the property market um, as opposed to only 20% of men in the same age group. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And well, then we've the, got one of those sitting right here with us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was yes. thinking you, know, yes. you came to mind when I was putting together yes. these yes. notes, Claire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, so we've seen a shift over the past year of women feeling more empowered to enter the market solo mm. as well. Um, so 30% more uh, have or are more likely to buy a property on their own, which mm. has increased from 25% last year. Mm. So that's a so jump. It's, which, which is, yeah, and mm. it's not an insignificant mm. amount. So, yeah. um, and, and then more than half of women are using their savings to put towards a deposit on, on a home purchase. Mm. It it does make sense as well because, you know, um, for investing, they say that women are more risk averse Mm. and we also have this thing in our mind about property being more stable Mm. or a more secure investment, Mm. that this is kind of the thing Mm. that women are drawn to is is Mm. the property. Yeah, Yeah. bricks bricks and mortar. Mm. And something you can make a home. Maybe it's something too about the way we we do like to make a home for ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think that um, there's also been research done on that as well, but um, with – there is a, a greater tendency for men to mm. invest in in the stock market or some mm. of those more um, short term or the the, the volatile type mm. of asset classes um, than than the bricks and mortar, mm. mortar as you're saying, and but we have seen more women start to enter into the online investing space. Mm. So um, we that, know that's that. why we're here. Emma. Exactly, you know, we're money. It's yeah. all about 
as you said before, the importance of education. Yeah. I mean, perhaps a dedicated web, website like this for women. Mm. Men, men are invited to, to, um, to come to Tilly too, so we're not restricting at all. But perhaps 30 years ago, this wouldn't have been seen. But the fact no. is women, we know, Claire, um, that women are just putting up their hands and saying, we want information, and that's what Tilly's all about, mm. providing that. Yep. Um, we actually had a question from a subscriber the other day, which I okay. thought would be perfect for yes. you to answer. How do I maintain my mortgage while still having a fun-filled life? Mm, good, very good question. <laughs> it, Important it is a question. good question. Yeah. It is because you, you you go into purchasing a home to, to enjoy it um, and you don't want it to come at, at such an expense to your lifestyle that you, you then end up resenting it, right? Mm. Um, so and I, I think... There's a lot of customers will come to you know into the process of of getting a mortgage and going oh I'll cut back on my spending mm. and and some are quite um, I suppose ambitious in what cuts they may well make and I think my advice in this situation is just don't overstretch yourself no. be realistic mm. it's a thirty year mortgage mm. right it's not it's not a, a one year phone plan or an internet mm. plan like this is this is this is a big investment for mm. a long time for most so people it's the biggest investment they'll ever make I, mm. I agree mm. so I think that it's it's not unrealistic to have to make some changes once you get a mortgage but um I think that work out before you, or once you're in it, but also before you go in, of what are the things that you do in your life that you really enjoy. And so if you're someone that goes on a holiday every year, then maybe don't, re- don't, don't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to now purchase a property and never have a holiday. That's you probably Crazy. end up a little bit miserable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you might change the way that you have the holiday for the mm-hmm. first couple of years. Mm-hmm. So you might move it to every second year or mm-hmm. you might scale back the type of holiday. Mm-hmm. It might not be international. Nobody's really going mm-hmm. anywhere internationally <laughs> no, at no, the no, moment. No. No, um, however, it might be just, it might be shorter than you normally do or it might mm-hmm. just look a little different. So I think my advice would be don't overstretch yourself but don't try and cut back so aggressively on mm-hmm. the things that bring you joy. And, you know, it might be you normally go out and, you know, eating mm. out at restaurants. Maybe it's bring people over yeah. and, and order and have a picnic. Or, or, exactly. Yeah, so just yeah. think of how you can reshape the way that you do the things that bring you joy um, that don't make you feel that you are living so on the edge just to be able to pay the mortgage. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a really good test that, that we often talk about um, suggesting customers do. And before you go into the mortgage, um, actually work out what the repayment, work out what your borrowing power is, how much can you borrow, and then what your repayment would be um, under that size mortgage for that property. And then try and live on the budget that you would have to make that repayment for a couple of months. So it's, I mean, you'd be putting the money away. So you might still be paying rent, but maybe put the extra bit away that would be for the mortgage. And can you still live for a couple of months mm. and, and still feel that you're actually enjoying your life and doing those things? It gives you a real oh, experience yeah. of mm. realising what life will be like yeah. in that circumstance once it's once it's real. Yeah. So it's just a bit of a That's test. That's good test. advice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Emma DuPont-Brown, I'm going to put you in the hot seat Uh (laughs) and I want to find out, and Claire, I know you do as well, your first property. Tell us about it. (laughs) Yes, because we assume you have one. I I do have one. The honest answer is I was late to the party. Yeah, okay. Okay. So... I didn't purchase my property until three and a half years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in my mid-30s now. Mm-hmm. Um, happy to still disclose young. that. So still, still young, young, but mm-hmm. not, not super early. Yeah. And um, I'm so happy that I bought. Mm-hmm. And, and I bought on my on one of those statistics. I bought mm-hmm. on my own. Good on you. And 
I I saved. Mm. I absolutely saved for the deposit. For the deposit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would be to, to be frank. I I hoped to purchase a property with someone, and you know we all have relationships, mm. and they go well, and then they don't go well, and so I waited a long time to purchase my first property, which was an apartment, mm. um, which I love, mm. and I, I I think I if I reflect on that process and the experience, I reckon I psyched myself out a little bit mm. on being able to do it myself and wanting to mm. do it with somebody and once I got out the other side of you know that relationship mm. I was like no I'm going to do this yeah. I'm going to so much take more of an it achievement. absolutely yeah. and went to the auction and mm. did the bidding myself wow. the first time I went to an auction I was pretty nervous yeah. <laughs> well, it is a nerve-wracking experience it was very season players yeah yeah so did the bidding myself and and just when that hammer came down mm. and oh. they said sold and they looked at me <laughs> I was like Oh my Ugh. goodness, what have I done? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Oh, I had that, that so whole good. moment of, mm. yeah, oh my yeah. goodness, this is now mine and I'm yeah. responsible. Yeah. So I think... Um, what did you buy? I what, bought... An apartment. A two-bedroom apartment good on you. Um, yep. over in Chatswood. Yep, fantastic uh, location. And, yeah, and it's, and it's great. And I bought it with the lens of this works for me now, but it also would make an amazing investment property down the track if need be. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I, I, I really wanted, to, and when I went into buying a property, I really thought about what did I want out of that property? What was important? Because like we said, it's not, property isn't a short-term game, right? Mm. It's not just for a couple of years. Mm. I wanted something that would really deliver value over a period of time, but that I'd also enjoy living in. Yes, so, yeah. Has yeah. that turned into an investment property now for you? or uh, it's, it's, it's in possibly in the process of oh, it. Oh, so yeah. in a happy relationship and now moving forward oh. with, with that Amazing, now, which is, yes. which is great. So life changes, right? Yeah, it so, does. Yeah. Um, and so investments yeah. last. And they yeah, do. That's and exactly and right. so I'm so glad that I bought something that will now transition yeah. Yeah, yeah. really well into that space. That's so good. Yeah. good on you, Emma. So in terms of mortgages, let's go off that track a little bit now. Okay. And let's see. Um, now, you told us a little bit about yourself, Emma, already. and But let's go back and so we had we know that Bill was telling you things and giving you good advice and I would imagine that you were around the early 20s or mm. around that time but what would Emma DuPont Brown now property owner yes. now senior position at Mortgage Choice mm. um around about 35 go back 10 12 15 years could, could you give some advice to your younger self around those early twenties. Mm. If you'd listen, we always add that because we know we know we know. <laughs> we know, we know. It's I, a really I still don't listen, Emma. Out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I would tell myself that indecision is a decision. Mm. And to just act. Mm. And and I think that probably comes through with my my property ownership story mm. of waiting for the perfect circumstance it may, maybe it won't come and get on with things mm. so you know make decisions mm. uh, and I think that I you know I, I, I could have I, I don't have regrets obviously mm. um, uh, but I I found myself because I didn't act mm. you then get into the spiral of, of chasing something and the market moves mm. and so then when you thought that you were ready then you're not because the market's moved on you so you got to save a bit more mm. and so I just think um, in a lot of aspects, just 
act, mm. like make a decision. And, you know, with the information you've got, you know, I wish that I would tell myself to, to have just acted with the information I had at that point in time, just to have made the best decision I could have, but make a decision. That one's going to stay with me. I need to think about that one. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I wish it, it's a very important one and I wish I could remember the exact words, but, you know, the philosophy behind mm. that is that once you make a decision, if you don't make a decision, nothing happens. Mm. But once you make a decision... The whole world, you know, and I'm not a big, you know, universe person, but the universe does come into play and things begin to happen. Mm. The fact that you bought that property in Chatswood, mm. you know, that was a decisive act. Mm. You move into another area, you meet people, mm. your life changes and opens up opportunities for you. If you hadn't have done that, it may have even been the wrong decision, but it was a decision, was. you know, that has consequences. And as you've told us, good consequences. <laughs> so that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, and another one of our key questions we like to ask is, what would you say has been your best personal investment? And that could be like besides from the property, mm. that could be in education, in upskilling yourself, in uh, time um, or in money. I would say outside of the property, which I, yeah, was absolutely an achievement, uh, mm. travel, mm. I would say. I invested in seeing the world when I was younger. So through my 20s, I really took the opportunity when I had the chance with whether it, whether it was work or personal sense, I, I really tried to see the world. Um, so I've seen 35, well, visited 35 countries, wow. which I'm quite mm-hmm. proud of, um, all over. So um, on a lot of the different continents. And I think that travel just has this ability to, uh, you know, it, it sounds a little, you know, I don't know, you're philosophical, but it really fuels your soul. Mm. You really get the sense of being grounded in, you know, you really appreciate and see what you have in life. You see how others live, you know, experience other cultures. I just feel that that has really helped open my eyes as an individual and I, I really cherish all of those experiences. Mm. I, I did a lot of that on my own as well. Mm. So, I've, you know, probably half of my travel has, has was, was on my own, just embrace the opportunity and the moment and just go, don't miss out. So mm. on some aspects I was very decisive. Um, but I just, I really you know, am thankful for those opportunities to be able to to have seen the world, places that now you can't go to. Yes, yeah. And and I think that now, particularly in a time of COVID, it makes it very bittersweet at the moment looking at the photo albums, yes, I'm going to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But, um, feel my wings are clipped a little bit, but I really feel that that was an investment. For... Well, it's an investment in yourself, mm. which is yeah. important to have mm. in your own growth and development. Mm. But Emma, it's been amazing talking to you. It's going to be the first of many because you have a wealth of knowledge. I mean, for all the... Bills, the Williams, the Wilhelminas mm. out there who do act as mentors. I know you're going to be a mentor for people listening to this and we thank you very much for your time and we we look forward to the next chat that we have with you, Emma. I um, do too. Thank mm. you. Thanks, Emma. Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan and Claire Osman. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.